Father God, we come before you this morning and we just want to pause. Uh, God, somehow, even with uh, being asked to do social distancing and stay in our homes as much as possible and so many things being canceled, um, it feels like we have a lot more time and yet we can fill that time so quickly, even just with worry and fear and busyness and trying to distract ourselves. And so, God, we just come before you today and we want to focus. We ask that you would help us to focus, that your spirit would draw our hearts and our minds to you. God, we stand with our brothers and sisters around the world today and we want to bring this crisis before you. Father, we know that you are completely and totally and absolutely in control. You uh, are surprised by nothing. Uh, Nothing happens outside of what you are allowing, God. But you are allowing us to walk through this now. And God, we just pray your mercy, your grace. We pray for healing. We pray that you would bring an end to this. We pray that through this, people would turn to you. That they would be inspired to follow you, God, to dig into who you are. That maybe their fear and their uncertainty would would have them looking for answers. Father, I pray for our own church, Leduc Fellowship Church here, God. I just pray for uh, so many people, Pastor Dennis and I have been emailing around and contacting around, and we've heard so many wonderful stories of ways that people are coming together and, and caring for one another and encouraging each other. And God, it is wonderful to see that happening. But God, we know that so many are hurting as well. And God, we just pray against fear. We pray against anxiety. We pray against suffering. We pray against illness. God, we pray for healing. And we pray for your presence. But God, you are gracious and merciful. We love you. And we want to continue to follow you together, even if we can't be together now. But Father, as we dig into your word now this morning, we just pray that you would speak. That you would open our hearts and our minds to hear from you. That we would be drawn deeper in relationship with you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you very much uh, for joining me in there. And again, I hope you're able to find some time and space to continue to dig into prayer for those suffering and struggling. Uh, Maybe for yourself in that prayer is by far the most powerful and profound weapon that we have. Far too easily we fall into the lie that prayer isn't doing anything when really it's it's in many ways, all we have connecting to God and the spirit and allowing him to shape and mold our lives and our actions in response to everything and anything. Prayer is the foundation. It's the fuel. It's life. And, and now I'm, I'm preaching. And that's not what we're here to talk about specifically this morning, though. Maybe it should be, but pray. People of God, pray. Pray hard. Pray continually. God is alive. He is real. He is here. He is with us. He is with you. And he hears our prayers. But this morning, we're going to try to dig back into our series this year, a year with Jesus. And it sounds and it feels like a thousand years ago that we were talking about these things, but it was actually only two weeks ago. It's crazy. This is certainly, again, a different experience than I'm used to. Uh, I hope you'll be gracious with me and with Pastor Dennis, too. But again, he's so good at everything. He does such a great job all the time. He did such a wonderful job uh, last week. Uh, But just be patient and gracious with us as we try to continually improve our online experience and presentation here. But we're heading back, back into our year 
with Jesus. Last week, again, Pastor Dennis did an incredible job on the live stream, encouraging us, bringing us comfort from the story in Matthew chapter 8, where Jesus calms the storm, reminding us that Jesus is fully with us. He is fully in control. Nothing happens outside of what he allows, and he is fully present with us. I love that part of the story, that Jesus was in the boat with them in the midst of that storm. He is in absolute control. He is with us, and he is enough for us. Now, this week, as we dig back into the story of the life and ministry of Jesus and and what he was teaching and showing his disciples to prepare them to be the church, we're beginning to move towards the Easter season. Again, as I said, next Sunday is Palm Sunday. We're remembering the triumphal entry as Jesus was celebrated as the king that had been promised and all of the incredible things that surround that. But before that happens, Jesus actually begins to prepare his disciples for what is actually coming. Again, he's going to be celebrated as a king, and this, this amazing uh, road, uh, to, road into Jerusalem is going to happen. People laying their clothes on the, on, the, on the path before him. But he knew a week later that they were going to be crucifying him as a liar and a criminal. We're going to look at two stories in Matthew chapter 16 and 17 today. The end of chapter 16 and the first few verses of chapter 17. If you want to open up your Bibles to those things, maybe you can help your kids find the story in their Bible too, and they can follow along. But we're looking at Matthew chapter 16, starting in verse 21. Now, Jesus' ministry is really starting to take off here. He's just performed his second feeding miracle feeding a crowd of 4,000 people. Word is getting around about who this guy is and what he might be. The Pharisees, just in the few verses before this, have just come to him and they've challenged him to prove something to them. Give us a sign. And they're madder than ever because Jesus doesn't do what they want and he's not being what they want him to be. And Jesus, in the verses right before this then with his disciples, he's asking them to think about who they think he is. And he asked them, who do you say that I am? And Peter says, well, you're the Messiah. It's a huge moment. His disciples are maybe starting to understand. And so Jesus starts to move them toward why he truly came then. And the hard things that are about to happen. Chapter 16, verse 20, he says, then he ordered his disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Messiah. From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Now, we give the disciples a hard time later on for not understanding things. And if he did lay things out actually that clearly, then a lot of the confusion and fear that the disciples displayed later doesn't make quite as much sense. But I mean, would you believe it? After everything you've seen this guy say and do, and now he starts talking about dying and raising to life again, it must be another parable, a metaphor. He's trying to tell us something else. And Peter responds as only Peter can then in verse 22. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, he said, this shall never happen to you. And Jesus turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the things of God, 
but merely human concerns. It's harsh. But Jesus is challenging me in so many of the same ways with that statement. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. And I mean, that ties right into what we were saying about prayer and fasting earlier. We have to be aligning our hearts with God's, not the other way around. We can't convince God to bless our plan. We have to be molded and shaped to his plan. Peter needed Jesus to be a certain way, to be this specific thing for him. And Jesus had a whole other plan, something Peter couldn't even begin to understand, even if Jesus had told him. If he had said, I'm going to die and transform the world, my spirit is going to empower you, Peter, and you will establish my church, which is going to be billions of people across thousands of years, accomplishing things you can't even begin to imagine. Peter wouldn't have understood. He wanted his teacher. He wanted his friend to stay with him. He wanted to follow. He wanted to be safe. For things to stay the same. And Jesus was preparing him to lead. Then Jesus said to his disciples, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will find it. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? For the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory with his angels. He's talking to his disciples here. This isn't some just letter written way later. He's talking to real people here. The Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory with his angels. Then he will reward each person according to what they have done. Truly, I tell you, some who are standing here will not taste death before they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. Jesus starts to unpack this new reality. Things are going to change, but if they trust him, he will be enough for them. I saw this great quote on Facebook this week, and Facebook is, we're not even going to go there, but every now and again, there's a rose amongst the thorns. There was a great quote on Facebook. It said, if you feed your faith, your fears will starve. And if you feed your fears, your faith will starve. Jesus doesn't want us to live in fear. He invites us to live with him, to trust him, to believe that he really is the way and the truth and the life and that everything follows and flows from him. We have to intentionally do things to feed our faith. It doesn't happen by accident, and it starts with letting go. Just like Jesus says here, laying down our life, denying ourselves, taking up our cross, and following him. The challenge and the invitation that Jesus laid before these 12 men 2,000 years ago is the exact same challenge and invitation that he's putting before you. And even if you made that step years ago, maybe you need to be reminded to renew that step, to trust him again. And if you've never made that step, Jesus is the only way. He's it. 
And he's that man that talked about coming with angels and with his father's glory and all these things. He is God. And he's enough. But I bet it was pretty quiet in that group. In the moment when Jesus kind of rounded on Peter there and, and kind of maybe yelled at him a little bit. Some heads started drooping and eyes down, not sure what to say. Oh, he's in trouble. And they're all a little uncomfortable. And then Jesus kind of, after he's done with Peter, he turns back to the group. And he finishes with this huge statement, taking up crosses, denying ourselves glory and angels and judgment and his kingdom. And it's quiet for a moment when Jesus finishes speaking. Maybe even kind of awkward. Maybe they're shuffling their feet a little bit. And then Jesus says, all right, let's go. And they move on. And maybe they go get something to eat. Or they find somewhere to spend the night. And ministry continues. And things start to settle down again. But the disciples have to still be thinking about this strange thing that he said about dying and coming back to life. And maybe they're even afraid to ask him about it now after Pete, uh, after Peter got in trouble for that. And a week goes by. And they're traveling around. And we come to chapter 17. After six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, the brother of James, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. Now, maybe that wasn't unusual. Maybe Jesus left some of the group and took just a few. Sometimes in Luke, it says that Peter and the others were very sleepy. So it might have been late at night that Jesus took them out while the others were sleeping, but they were alone, just the four of them on top of this mountain. Verse 2, there he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun. His clothes became as white as the light. Just then there appeared before them Moses and Elijah talking with Jesus. Can you imagine? What do you do with that? Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it's good for us to be here. If you wish, I will put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. While he was still speaking, a bright cloud covered them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell face down on the ground, terrified. But Jesus came and touched them. Get up, he said. Do do not be afraid. When they looked up, they saw no one except Jesus. As they were coming down the mountain, Jesus instructed them, don't tell anyone what you have seen until the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. And there it is again, the strange idea of raising from the dead. But just imagine that scene. It's dark. You're on a walk. It's probably a little bit chilly outside. There's crickets chirping. I don't know if there's crickets in Judea, probably. And you go up to the top of this mountain and you're standing there. And I don't know how quickly it happens. Maybe they were there for a few minutes. And all of a sudden, Jesus 
shines like the sun, bright light all around. And Moses and Elijah appear and start speaking with him. And you're watching this happen. And then suddenly a cloud descends around them and a voice starts speaking from you from the cloud. It's terrifying. It's overwhelming. It's confusing. It's awesome. It's incredible. And you fall to the ground face down, surrounded by light and this cloud and this voice and all of this incredible scene. And suddenly Jesus touches you on the shoulder. And you look up. And it's all gone. It's dark. It's quiet. And Jesus says, get up. Don't be afraid. I mean, yeah, right. But you start walking with him back to where the others are sleeping. And you just saw him shining like the sun. And now he's walking with you again. Again, you're heading back down the mountain the same way you walked up. But everything is different now. And he says it again. Don't tell anyone what you've seen until the son of man has been raised from the dead. Jesus was preparing his disciples to be the church. He had spoken to them and taught them and they had followed him. They had seen him speak and work and act. But here now he showed them who he really was. They experienced something far beyond anything they could explain away or even understand. And today we have all kinds of things that help us to know and understand God. We have amazing teachings and books and great pastors and leaders and researchers and professors that have discovered and explored all kinds of important and inspiring things. We have the church the body of believers and fellowship and encouragement and tradition and following Jesus together. We have apologetics and philosophy and smart people with great answers to hard questions that help us to know that God is real and his word is true. And all of that pales in comparison to the experience of encountering God personally. It's all important. It's really good. I love all of that stuff so much. It's been so important in my faith and my journey. And it's not the same as experiencing God. I remember years ago, before I was married, I was living in an apartment with a few friends. And one night I had just gotten out of the shower. It wasn't a particularly interesting night. Nothing was going on. No one else was home. And I went to my room to get dressed and suddenly the presence of God hit me in a way I don't know if I had ever experienced before. I just felt washed over with just this incredible sense of love and grace and presence. And I sat down on the couch in my room and for the next hour I didn't move. I just sat there overwhelmed by the presence of God. It was one of the strangest, weirdest most powerful and profound things I've ever experienced. And I've been fortunate in my life to have seen and experienced God moving in lots of different ways and lots of different places. But that night sticks out in my mind so clearly. God was so real in that place. I'll never forget it. It shaped me in hugely important ways. 
Jesus was walking with his disciples, preparing them to be the church. And he told them what was going to happen, what he was going to do. And they didn't understand. And then he showed them who he really was. And it changed them. Now, they still failed. Peter was there on the mountain. He saw it all. He heard the voice. He saw the light, the cloud, the prophets, and he denied Jesus outside the temple gates. And he ran back to his fishing boats when Jesus was crucified. But when Jesus invited him back into ministry and forgave him, this experience was part of his understanding of who Jesus was. How have you seen Jesus? How has God shown you that he is real? Was it a moment? A certain place? Or maybe it's been a journey, a story. Not necessarily one specific time, but just a growing in relationship with who God is. Today, I want to challenge you to share that story or one of them. Maybe you've had many experiences like that. But as we're isolated and separated now, I think it's more important than ever for us to remember and to share those stories. Remember and be encouraged. God is real and he is with you. And I experienced it at this time in this way. I know it was there. And share that with someone. Share it with your spouse, with your kids. They need to hear your story too. Lizzie and I have had lots of conversations about trying to hear God speak. She wants so badly to understand, to experience it. And so much of her understanding and ability to learn that is sharing in my experience. They need you to be real and vulnerable so that they can learn too. But call someone up today, here, now, a friend, a parent, someone that God lays on your heart. Don't wait for someone to reach out to you. Be bold. Call them up and say, I just need you to share you this story with you. This time that God was so real to me. And ask them about a time that God was real to them too. God was building his church. He showed his followers who he was and he's still doing it today. In Psalm 46, the writer says, be still and know that I am God. Well, we certainly have the opportunity to be still right now, but we can still fill that time with fear and busyness and noise and Facebook and Netflix and news. Turn it off. Be still. Let God show himself to you. Let him speak. Let him rest his hand on you, just like Jesus did to Peter. That you can experience again that he is God and he is here and he loves you. Let's pray together this morning. Father God, in this time we need you to be louder than the fear. We need to see you more clearly than our hurt and our confusion. We need your peace, your presence. You are God. 
You are real. You are here. And we need you. Show us who you are again. Fill us with your presence, your peace, your spirit. God, give us boldness to reach out and share that story, God. So much of my experience of who you are has come as others have shared how they've experienced you. And I've been open to understanding you in a new way. God, we are separated in so many ways right now, but we are still your church, your body together. And your spirit connects us, even if we aren't together physically. And so, God, again, I just want to lift up this morning one more time those who are hurting and struggling and suffering in this. God, I pray your peace upon them. I pray your spirit would rest upon them. And I pray that you would put in each one of our minds a name of someone that we can reach out to and connect with and just encourage. But, God, we thank you that you aren't quiet or far away. You are here with us in the middle of this, and you want to speak to us. You want to encourage us. You want us to know you. Help us to be still. In Jesus' name, amen.